Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Film Chat, a podcast all about a rich materialist teen girl, Danny Moran, who takes her exuberant antics too far when she encourages her friends to throw away a bunch of her father's stuff. Furious? He sends her to a strict boarding school in the notoriously stuffy, uptight, and rather backwards distant country of England. Her arrival there is a bit of a culture shock. It's nothing like California with its bright sunshine and lip gloss and all that. The weather is bad and everyone is strict, frigid, quaint, or a combination of the three. However, she soon starts to form a bond with the English girls in her dormitory, and maybe she can even learn a thing or two from them about growing up, even as she teaches them to cut loose once in a while. If she's lucky, she might even get a snog from the headmistress's son, a sensitive yet obnoxious hunk called Sam Foster. Is what I would be saying if this were a adaptation of the 2008 classic teen film, genuinely quite funny and adorable, Wild Child. Instead, it's just a podcast wherein we talk about and review films. I'm Sam Foster, and joining me, straight out of Malibu, fun-loving party chick, Danny Moran. Hello, hello. It is female-centric week on Film Chat as we review two films helmed by women. First off, Sam reviews acclaimed documentary Camera Person about the cinematographer Kristen Johnson, and then we both review the serial killer comedy Prevenge, written, directed, and starring Alice Lowe. God, Sam, these women are so bloody talented. It makes me, want to, makes me just want to grab them by the brain, because that's the most attractive part of a woman. Ugh. Hashtag death to the patriarchy. Hashtag ugh. We also check out the news of a proposed Bowie musical, a new Mika Levy score, and... With the BAFTA ceremony this Sunday, we have a sneak peek at some of Stephen Fry's brilliant jokes. All of which should leave me just enough time to perform my latest impression, Leonardo DiCaprio, as his character on Blood Diamond, eating a blood orange. <laughs> oh, this is a great orange. It's quite juicy. Oh, God left this continent a long time ago, but he left some lovely oranges, which I'm eating. That's what he would say. Tom Garud has written in to us. Nice to hear from Tom. He says, Hey, film guys. 
As a former Scottish heroin addict, I was really looking forward to a blast of nostalgia in the form of T2 train spotting. But I've got to agree with you, lads, that it just went too far, even for me. I thought the first half of the film got it right, with a few small nods to the previous film and all the familiar characters being introduced. But unfortunately, the second half, pretty much as soon as Renton delivers his reworked Choose Life speech, was just Nostalgia City. Way too much for me. Obviously, a bit of nostalgia can be a good thing, but how much is too much? Can you think of any films that get this right and use nostalgia in an interesting and effective way? Well, oh, wow. what an apposite question. First yeah. of all, Tom, congratulations on getting clean, um, mm. being off the skag. Well done for choosing life and washing machines and whatever. <laughs> I forget the speech. I forget the speech. Um, well, I think washing machines feature. Yeah, films that use nostalgia well. I was thinking uh, Midnight in Paris. Yeah. which is a film that at least tackles nostalgia head-on as a topic, albeit in an incredibly unsubtle and explicit way, but evokes nostalgia, but is direct about the you know the shortcomings of doing so and of wallowing too much in the past. Yeah, it's um, a good example. And I feel like the current trends in movies kind of make Midnight in Paris somehow like smarter and more relevant, you know? <laughs> <laughs> because like, they've got to learn this lesson that he's trying to teach them about golden age delusions or whatever it is that... Michael Sheen's talking about in that movie. Yeah, I mean, when we discussed Trainspotting, you brought up The World's End, which is another movie about old men... Reminiscing re- about trying to recapture their youth kind of thing. But I think that movie works better because you haven't seen their youth. So when they reminisce, it's all brand new information. But in Trainspotting 2, when they reminisce about the past, you're like, I know, you know, I've seen that film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we were reviewing La La Land and we were talking a bit more about nostalgia, we were also talking about The Artist... And that's a movie that trades on nostalgia for like silent films and that old Hollywood and stuff, but does so in a very uncomplicated and unsort of deceitful way. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's just... not pretending to be anything that, it, that other than what it is, which is just like a bit of basically like panto fun. Yeah. Um, and uh, Hail Caesar is another interesting one that um, has filled with like genuine nostalgia for old Hollywood, but um is also like very cynical about it and about humanity generally this might not technically be nostalgia but what would you call it when something like kill bill which is just like a sort of almost has this hip-hop mentality of like sampling culture yeah in a way to like produce different uh, effects like in kill bill he uses like sound effects from like 60s tv shows like the green hornet theme tune She's wearing Bruce Lee's thing. There's like 20 million Kung Fu movies referenced in a minute, which I have yeah, no... Yeah. Does that count? Is that no, like using I think, nostalgia? I think that's a really interesting thing to bring up because I think it's definitely different. But like, I think the contrast is quite interesting because with those, with like, that's not just true. That's like, the Kill Bill is the most stark example, but Tarantino is always doing that, right? Like, yeah. Boris Bastards has like full of music cues. He's just niche from other films and stuff. But he never wants you to actually think you're watching like a Bruce Lee film when she gets into that yeah. get up. It's just another kind of tool at his disposal to tell a Tarantino story. Yeah, absolutely. You know? So it never feels like anything less than a modern like Tarantino movie. Whereas in a film like La La Land, you know, Damon Shell's trying to make sing, you know, he wants to make you feel like you're watching another scene in the rain. But you're thing. not. But you're not. You're not Chazelle. Yeah, and I guess like maybe things like trains T two Trainspotting is like slightly different because it's uh the references are really direct, you know. It's like, imagine it's 1996 or whenever that film came out. Yeah. And you're like, you know, you're watching Trace Body again. So maybe maybe that's like slightly different. We've been sidetracked into our critiques of La La Land. I don't know. <laughs> I, think, I think that maybe there's like, 
there's a bit of like gray area as well where it's just like lazy filmmaking like yeah. in jurassic world or like the force awakens they're both trading in, to an extent on the nostalgia of like earlier cultural moments but also it's just like the cheapest and easiest way to get people to see your film it's like oh it's like the first film you know and so like with train spotting the absolutely most cautious way to get people to see that film train spotting 2 rather is if it just looks like train spotting 1 yeah do you think maybe the test of whether nostalgia it works is that someone who hasn't seen the first one would like it? Uh, maybe. Although, I mean, or maybe I'm sure, like, be a like... lot of kids enjoyed like The Force Awakens or like... Kids, are, kids are idiots, aren't they? fucking idiots. They're fucking idiots. Saying like, oh, kids would like it is just like saying a human whose brain isn't fully developed would enjoy this. Yeah. That's a bit of an insult of anything. I guess that's kind of it. Like, if you reached a two-hour movie about a balloon, you know, you'd be like, well, toddler might love it, but it doesn't make it a great film. <laughs> <laughs> so to conclude yes to conclude or yes. no yeah or yes i forget what the question was tom but the answer to the question is yes choose life tom choose mtv choose, choose bathrobes choose film chat choose choose itunes how many drafts of that speech do you think he went through with just other random shit well the new one is like a bit obviously like choose twitter choose well, exactly. usbs because this has been in development for so long they've obviously had to like keep on updating references who's like choose instagram choose slut shaming choose revenge porn choose uh, brexit choose <laughs> <laughs> choose trump <laughs> it's like you know they recorded the day before it came out what? choose piers morgan refusing to have me on his show <laughs> famous <laughs> ripped from the headlines choose live speech yeah <laughs> choose sean spicer uh, complaining about the media Choose the Bowling Green Massacre. <laughs> Superhero films announced, casting rumours leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated, Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped, Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint, that's the news that's fit to print. So a while ago in the podcast, we discussed this upcoming film, Vox Lux, which is the new film by Brady Corbet, who made Childhood of a Leader. One of my films of 2016. Awesome movie. You should check it out. It's probably on Blu-ray by now. And the story is going to be about a 21st century pop star played by Rooney Mara. And it charts her career from 1999 to the now, I guess. So the most of the 21st century and takes in the 21st century, puts under a lens. What was it all about? Remember the noughties? It was great or terrible or great? It seems great. Looking back, it was pretty great, wasn't it? it was yeah, fine. it was certainly brilliant, yes. And joining the crew is Mika Levy, who's going to do the score. She's going to provide the, I guess, the instrumental traditional film score, and Sia is going to be writing the pop songs. So that's it's just a, a cavalcade of cool people. I can't believe this movie's happening. I'm so excited. I'm going to shoot it in 65mm, the biggest format you can get. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, it does seem like someone has uh, gone into whatever the modern equivalent of Rolodex is and just picked out all the most sort of ethereal, cool, spooky, awesome people working today and just like put them in the same film. Yeah. Maybe Brady, Brady Corbet, like all these people probably saw his movie and liked it, you know, because like his um, psychological, like odd, unsettling atmosphere, you know, fits in with what they do, whatever. Well, he got Scott Walker to do the score for his last movie. Maybe he just like approaches. He's cool good at musicians. talking to musicians. He's like, you should score my movie. Yeah. And they're like, okay. It's, yeah. And Sia's like, sure, Brady. Yeah. Anything you say, Brady. He's like, I just saw The Eagle Huntress. That song, You Can Do Anything. That inspired me. That inspired me <laughs> to make this movie. <laughs> and to ask you. 
to, and to, I thought to, to, to score I could it. RC it <laughs> to write my songs. Before I saw that film, I never thought I'd be able to ask you to write the music for my films. But you inspired me. And I, and I realized that I can do anything. <laughs> so I thought about writing the music myself. But then I thought you'd probably be better at it anyway. Yeah, it's cool. It's like a proper original massive epic with a young filmmaker. It feels like the only time we get an epic movie is like an old auteur who's got enough clout to get off the ground or Christopher Nolan. And so it's cool that this guy like straight out of the gate is going to be making this massive Absolutely. Movie. It sounds Huge like huge movie. It does sound like he's going for some kind of Boogie Nights-esque Paul Thomas Anderson event film epic. Yeah, I'm all for uh, it. And I'm all for it. Go for it, Corbet. And yeah. I can never, never, never sure how to pronounce her name. Mika Levy? I think it's, yeah, Mika Levy. Yeah. But she's just one of those people who is going from strength to strength in her, like, Hollywood scoring career. And it's yeah. kind of come out of nowhere a bit. Yeah. You know, I remember back in the day listening to her band, Mika Mika Ju- Ju- in the Shapes, and their weird, wacky, catchy, scratchy, exciting pop music. And being like, this is awesome. Only about five people in the world will, like, listen <laughs> to and love this um and uh yeah now everyone's all over it now she's like bring me a violin and a and a chair i'll just play that i've created incredible music how did you do that just recorded it on a laptop microphone genius yeah absolutely she just sit in a room with like a pack of gum and like and a wardrobe just just go nuts and before you know it she's created an incredible soundscape a wax cylinder and a butter knife and she just carves the music already into it and she's a just genius. like she's a genius. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30 30, ready get 30, ready get 20 20, 20 ready get 20 20, ready get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Speaking of musical geniuses, David Bowie he was good at music, wasn't he? Yes. Um, a genius, in fact. A genius. That's what I've heard. Um, I haven't heard any of his songs. Uh, or, <laughs> <laughs> But I'm told that they're quite good. So he died last year. And uh, yeah, so the, uh, the possibility of doing David Bowie musical has been on the cards for a while, right? Uh, Danny Boyle wants to do it. Yeah, Danny Boyle wants to do it. And Frank Cottrell Boyce, the guy who wrote 24 Hour Party People, was going to get together but then Bowie didn't allow them the rights I think because uh, he's too busy dying and creating incredible art and producing Lazarus this sort of Bowie musical right yeah that's true yeah Um, but it seems to be the project seems to be back uh, but it's got a different director a woman called Agnieszka Smoczynska who is releasing a film this week called The Lure which I had not heard of before reading this news item did you know about it Danny? Early because it just played Sundance to acclaim Oh, right. Cool. All I know about it is from this press release, which describes it as a cannibal mermaid musical. Every one of those words is cool. Each each word adds extra excitement, which is what you want from your elevator pitch. I always thought the little mermaid lacked a bit of cannibalism. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Anyway, she's got musical experience. Bowie was uh, famously a big fan of cannibals, so he'd probably approve. Yeah. Um, and uh, she's been teasing the details about this project while speaking to Birth Movies Death. She said, we want to make a science fiction opera with music by David Bowie titled Deranged. 
It's about an investigator who is hired by the art crime department to determine whether the murder of a 16-year-old girl is a crime or a work of art. <laughs> it's awesome. Brilliant. I, I just hadn't all read that sentence <laughs> until I just read it out loud, and I love it. We've started to work on it, and I hope it will happen. So I guess, you know, having announced that to Birth Movie's death, she must already have some in with Bowie's people, right? You can just be like, I think I'm going to use Bowie's music. You know, she must, yeah. like, have some kind of leverage to enable her to get it. One assumes. So, yeah, I mean, I really hope it happens because it sounds brilliant. Apparently, this is a reference to the musician's 1995 album Outside, which was supposed to be the first of a series of records detailing a dystopian vision of 1999. The subsequent records never came, but Bowie included the short story The Diary of Nathan Adler or The Art Ritual Murder of Baby Grace Blue, a non-linear gothic drama hypercycle. <laughs> oh, Bowie, you conceptual <laughs> bastard. <laughs> In the liner notes uh, to that album. Um, well, and... there's a track on it called I'm Deranged. Right. Which uh, was used in Lost Highway, I think, the David Lynch movie. Oh, cool. It's kind of funny because I'm a big Bowie fan, but I've like avoided all of his less successful albums. So as far as I know, he just made a series of classic albums till like 1982 and then, and then didn't Lazarus. work at all. And then yeah. did the next day in Lazarus and died. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's a 30 year gap there where he went a bit experimental. Well, has this album outside not got such a great critical reputation? I think it's pretty well received, like, as far as his, like, non-classic albums are concerned. Like, I listened to it today, actually, a bit of it. Oh, did you? Yeah. Do some research for this podcast. It was pretty good. How was the song I'm Deranged? Does he say deranged? I'm deranged! It's a bit like that. I would have just... If you'd asked me to just immediately produce a Bowie-esque, yeah. you know, that, like emitted noise that no it's cool his 90 stops weird he gets into a drum and bass for like an entire album and it's does like he Bowie really drum and bass, yeah <laughs> how bizarre and sort of house music always pushing the envelope always this experimenting. like this thing this idea of someone who's hired by the art crime department to work out whether a murder is a crime or an art like a piece of art it sounds like um something that one of our schoolmates would have done as a play you know for, like house drama <laughs> yeah some sort of like dark like comedy you know well I guess you can't do the classic sort of uh, go-to approach for these kind of musicals where you just like get his biggest hits and sort of try and string a plot together. It's about a guy called Major Tom and he wants to find life on Mars. Right, but yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes through some change changes and then, uh, I don't know, he becomes a, a hero. Note, He's man. a laughing <laughs> note. Yeah, his biggest hit, the laughing <laughs> note. And then uh, <laughs> he yeah, washes up and is ashes to ashes and he becomes a junkie. Yes. And uh, then at the end, he dies. That sounds like an equally good film. <laughs> um, Especially the laughing gnome. That'd be the major character. He should be the lead, in fact. It should just be about the laughing gnome. It's voiced by Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is definitely one to watch. Um, and I also want to see The Lure. In a way, this is two news items in one for me because I hadn't heard about this movie and it sounds fantastic. Well, you are the main audience for this podcast, so that's good. <laughs> Looks like Sam's got a film to review, he's just getting ready now. Hey Sam, here's a few tips for you, that I hope are gonna help you out. You gotta come prepared, try not to rush, speak directly into the mic. Um, don't sort of use filler words too much, and try to avoid talking total shite. Okay, start reviewing now. Okay, so camera person, this is a film that I had not heard of until Sunday. I was, here's the story behind me seeing this film, it's important to give the contextual information. I was having a quiet day. Sonia was having some of her friends round. <laughs> My housemate Sonia. She was having some of her friends round. They are very cheerful, excitable people. Very, like, you know, kind, 
loud, Ugh. nice to each other. Ugh. Can't be having it. So I was like, getting out of here. And I went to <laughs> the, uh, the Picture House Central, which is just like a nice place to hang out. And I got a coffee and I was like, I'm just going to see any film that's on here. And the Picture House is currently doing a documentary series. And there were a couple of movies I hadn't heard of. One of them was this film called Tao, which is like a kind of animated documentary, I guess, in the vein of um, Walter Bashir. And this other one was this film called Camera Person. And I determined that they were both um, very well reviewed on Rotten Tomatoes. And I just went to the one that had the closer screening. It's directed by a woman called Kirsten Johnson, who is a cinematographer. And it's a kind of documentary memoir sort of scrapbook thing, which basically pieces together clips that she shot for different films there's a sort of title card at the beginning that explains the concept and how it's like a series of uh, images and moments that still resonate with her and that um still leave her wondering and i i i really enjoyed the movie and sort of it's kind of grown on me afterwards as well because he keeps sort of new things keep occurring to me that, we, that was interesting in it um and i read a few reviews that latch on to different aspects of it and like draw out different things and i think it does a very good job of having a sense of purpose while also feeling sort of loose and natural in a way and it, like you can uh draw things out of it and for the most part it presents itself in a sort of undidactic kind of like here's some stuff I was working on sort of way but at the same time it feels very very carefully put together uh, one of the things that maintains like it keeps it interesting throughout even though like these clips don't don't have a lot to do with each other is the fact that the perspective of the documentary is a very unusual one because normally you either have a kind of narrator who's speaking to you like directly talking to the audience and like guiding you through the story or you have like footage which is just presented and there is no like voice to explain what's going on sure. but like in both cases they're trying to like elide the person who's actually behind the camera filming it documentaries tend to present themselves as there's like essentially like a floating lens that's just capturing stuff sure you know? yeah and so having the this film is like really um upfront about the fact that there's an actual person physically behind the camera and it establishes very quickly that she's there and she like reacts to things and kind of talks and like you immediately get a sense of her personality so that's the sort of through line that in all these different scenarios which are like radically different to each other there's always that person like watching and it's quite carefully constructed to kind of build that aspect to it so at the start of it there's a lot of like behind the scenes outtakes style stuff where she's like plucking grass away in front of her lens to get a better shot or she's like wiping the uh, windscreen of a car so that her camera looks clearer through it yeah and then um as the film goes on it presents scenarios in which it would leave you with a kind of dilemma as the person like he was actually there filming it as to whether to intervene or not there's okay, a couple yeah. of moments of real like drama there's this one bit for example she's filming in bosnia and she's shooting from quite a distance away, zoomed in. And there's these two kids who are playing very amiably. There's like this young kid who's probably about five. And then there's like toddler. Uh, but they're playing with like an axe. And the, the the one who's slightly older is like repeatedly swinging this axe into a tree stump. Jesus. And this, um, uh, this toddler is like, it's like a toy that he wants to play with himself. So he's kind of reaching out and like he wants a go at it. And this slightly oh older kid has got no sense whatsoever. There is anything dangerous about it. And you can sort of hear her like... Well, eventually, like the kids, you know, their kids are fine, and they sort of move away and leave the axe. Oh. You can sort of hear her go like, "Oh," like, <laughs> um, and yeah, I think that when the film is kind of at its most successful, when it has these little moments of individual drama that pop out, and the structure of it means that 
you never know when to expect that that's going to happen. Sure, yeah. Because it it's... kind of just like fades in and out and it hops all over the world and like some bits, nothing happens seemingly, you know. Right. What's the time frame? Like over how many years is this? It's not 100% clear, to be honest. I think she's been a documentary filmmaker for a long time, but I think most of the stuff is drawn from, like, the last 15 years. I think she's been like an old lady's voice by the end. At the beginning, she's like, (laughs) No, she's like, Put down the axe. And she's like, Put down the axe. Put down the axe. Well, yeah, that happens. That keeps happening to her. Put down the axe. This happened to me in 1932. I was okay, and I hope you are as well. I can't believe the same thing's happening to me in a different part of the world. Put down the damn axe. No, that doesn't happen. She's, uh, I think she's probably in, she's probably like in her 50s or something. Right. She doesn't have a comic or old woman voice at any, That's a at shame, any point. I think. I think she should have put one on. Yeah. The film does a very good job of drawing the connections out through juxtaposition without like overdoing it. Uh, and it also serves as a little mini chronicle of her own family. She's got bits of like home footage of her young twins and also her mother who is suffering from Alzheimer's. Um, okay. And so there's this little kind of weaved in through this other stuff. There's this kind of family drama that is also playing out. That's quite sort of sensitively done. It reminded me a little bit of something like If on a Winter's Night, A Traveller the Italo Calvino novel, right. which is just like fragments of other novels. Yeah, yeah. In that it has part of the sort of playfulness and the fun of it is that it just drops you into scenarios with zero context. Or, or sometimes there is a bit and sometimes there isn't. And you just have to like catch up and you have to figure out what's yeah, going yeah. on. And that's always interesting. Like every few minutes there'll be a new person. It's like, who's this? Like, what are they doing? You know? Yeah, you have to work a bit harder as a viewer. Yeah, yeah. And that's like, um, that's kind of fun. And then some things will come back later on and you realize that you're seeing the development of a story and then other things never come back. Um, and it's, you know, not, it's not signposted what will happen. There's also some sort of fun like celebrity cameos. Oh, wow. Like she made this documentary about Jacques Derrida. And if you didn't know that before going in, then there's just this bit where Derrida turns up and he's always like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then um, she was also, um, she worked on both Citizen Four and um, Fahrenheit 9-11. Oh, wow. And there's this bit in it with uh, Michael Moore and he's like interviewing some soldiers. Like, oh shit, it's Michael Moore. Yeah. Like, I just thought I was listening to some Bosnian family talking about the horrors of war. And now, you know, Michael Moore's turned up making jokes about soldiers. Great. Cool. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I really recommend it. It's like a very, it's, it was sort of fitted my mood very well at the time that it's like quite a gentle film, but it's very thought provoking and it's never boring. It's always sort of interesting seeing what's going to come next. And there was only, the only thing, there's only occasionally where I felt like it got a little bit too like obvious. And I think sometimes it veers towards a particular type of film, which feels a bit more familiar, which is like the kind of spread of humanity thing. Right. Do you remember that Trevor McDonald's Vision Express ad where yeah. he's like, I've seen a million things. I've seen <laughs> a man who could be king of anywhere. I've seen, and it's like all this like... Yeah, it's pro-Reagan ad. Yeah, it's bizarre like bitter. He loves Reagan. But like, it's this kind of collection of news footage and that kind of like, here's a shot of uh, vibrant world life and here's yeah. a shot of a bombed out hospital and, Whoa. you know, isn't the world full of horrors and also beauty, yeah. you know? I feel like that's, that is the sort of thing that's supposed to evoke a sense of, like, Whoa, mind expansion. What? But it's like, but it has its own character yeah. so that rather than feeling like you're part of some universal human experience that you just, like, you're watching a film that's like those films. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I totally get you. And I think that occasionally this veers towards that, but it's much, it's definitely a cut above that kind of thing because um, of its very, very personal character and it's so specific and it's like 
been drawn from this very limited pool of footage so she obviously didn't set out to be like i will show what it's like in wyoming and what it's like yeah. in bosnia and what it's like in nigeria or whatever it's just like those are the places that she happened to be so it has like uh, enough of a particular character to kind of avoid that more like general slightly preachy we're all human kind of thing cool so yeah i thoroughly recommend it i kind of feel like i wouldn't it's the sort of film where you wouldn't want to spoil it's hard to spoil because there's no like plot or anything but like there's so many individual moments of like cool little bits of drama and some yeah. bits that are really gripping and some bits that are very moving that i wouldn't want to talk too much about the specifics of it but i really re- recommend checking it out i think it's quite a good movie as well to watch like to like download if it's available on like on demand yeah it's a good on demand movie because it's not spectacular you know it's a lot yeah. of like outtakes and stuff so like, check it out find uh, it watch it m- most importantly sam when you got home had the had the women left had the friends gone they'd gone they were having a ryan gosling watching day they were watching the notebook and um i think they were watching crazy stupid love or something oh, man, that's less of gosling if you're gonna gosling, gosling marathon like half nelson and blue valentine surely yeah <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if that blue valentine necessarily had the spirit they're looking for but they could have at least gone for lars and the real girl that's oh, a charm come on come on uh but no Fuck fortunately sake. fortunately they'd gone i could they didn't have to talk i didn't have to talk to anyone i could just go straight into my room and uh you know go to bed that's perfect sam and danny both watched a film and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw you're gonna hear them in a moment or so there could be angry disagreements but their views are normally quite close joint review shared between two podcast brothers do they let one another speak or do they interrupt each other the light is on the guys are in so let the chat begin stop talking now So, Prevenge, this is written, directed, and starring Alice Lowe, her of Sightseer's fame and Garth Marenghi's Dark Place and just any good comedy of the last 15 years. She is awesome. And the film was made when she was actually seven months pregnant with her own child, which she has subsequently had, and there's like one now. So, unique filming conditions. And in it, Alice Lowe plays Ruth, whose partner died in a climbing accident when he was cut loose by the rest of his group. And while heavily pregnant... She goes on a killing spree of all the people she thinks is responsible and her unborn child is ordering her to do this in a sort of demonic, golem-esque voice. And here is a clip of her talking to her unborn child after she's just killed one of the people on her checklist and also his flatmate. It was completely unnecessary to kill that man. He was really nice. He was a sop. A hipster sop. Sacrifices I've had to make. What sacrifice? Children these days are really spoiled. Like, Mummy, I want a PlayStation. Mummy, I want you to kill that man. I don't want a new. I know you don't want a new daddy, but there was no possibility of that, so stop going on about it. He saw everything. I know he's a witness, but there's a chance he might not have told anyone. His name was Josh. No, you're right. No one called Josh is not going to tell the authorities. So we both saw this at the London Film Festival. Yeah, I was super hungover, which didn't help. But I still enjoyed it. (laughs) I thought it was really good. I really liked it. And I was impressed by how it really made the most of its premise because it's a slightly kind of cool, wacky premise. And sometimes 
you wonder if these things are just better left as like posters or Twitter jokes. It's like the sort of grindhouse trailers, the good as trailers, but no one, nobody wants to see Machete the movie. Yeah. Hence why it made no money. Yeah. <laughs> but it really dealt with the concept of pregnancy in an interesting way. And I heard Alice Lowe talk about when the impetus was like the cinematic portrayal of motherhood is always this sort of spiritual transcendent. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like self-realization. Yeah, like exactly. Your, you know, and the miracle of birth. And challenge stuff. that perception because, you know, in reality, it's a horrific and scary process. Yeah. And I think the film kind of captures that quite brilliantly. Yeah. I, I thought that, like, the thing that elevates it above those kind of, like, comedy pitches, like werewolf Nazis of the SS or whatever, is that it's so clearly, like, it's a very personal film and it's a combination of all her interests, like partly the sort of awkward British comedy of manners stuff where she's dealing with the um, uh, woman in the maternity uh, yeah. ward or whatever, like who's incredibly patronizing and irritating. And all of the people who she encounters on her killing spree are like funny British comic characters. And also she obviously wanted to make this kind of pulsating um, serial killer film. Yeah. And it's got that aspect. And she also wanted to make a film about her own pregnancy. And all of that works together very well. It's a sort of classic, like, sort of horror thing, right? Where it's like, you know, you just take one aspect of the human experience, but it's like a horror movie version of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And pregnancy is so ripe for doing that with. But it's usually done, uh, like, from the perspective of, like, the sort of de- demonic child thing. Yeah, the sort of uh, evil version of the Immaculate Conception. Yeah, like, exactly. With, where, with like, the devil instead of Jesus. Yeah, where it's more about, like, the nature of the baby. But it's rarely done from that perspective of, like the psychological effect on the mother of childbirth or how like i think it's it's both the the like um the sort of like physical aspect to it but also that it's like disorienting and yeah you know just like weird i i imagine yeah i'm <laughs> um, pretty sure it's weird pretty sure it's weird i think i'm safe in in using that term <laughs> um everyday patriarchy how <laughs> <laughs> of you called it weird uh yeah. yeah, and so it just, like, yeah, I mean, you don't have to have been pregnant yourself to, like, you know, grasp it. It's obviously a film that's clearly about her own experiences of being pregnant and, like, her, her working through it in that kind of way that's both, like, funny and, you know, horrifying. Yeah, and I also think the premise lends itself to this very neat and tight structure in that every 15 minutes or so, somebody will be murdered. It's much like Kill Bill, really. Yeah, and there's something pleasing about just, like, it's a new sort of, like, slightly familiar comedy character sort of turns up and will be dispatched in some inventive way. Yeah, and it's and, like, what will the twist on it be this time, yeah. you know? Yeah. And also the fact that she's pregnant has got this kind of ticking uh, clock kind of, like, device. Like, at some point, she's going to give birth. Yeah, yeah, And it yeah. just adds a little tension to everything. Um, it was shot in two weeks and on a very low budget, and I think you can tell. And given its low budget and how quickly it was made, I think it's really impressive. And as you were saying about the sort of weird, disorienting experience of being pregnant, I think... There's a lot of like neat editing and sound design, which kind of reflects that. I think where the budget does creak is that it's quite visually flat, just because I don't think they had time to set up lights. So it's very kind of like shot on the hoof. But the kind of scrappiness of it almost is of a piece. You know, it's all one idea executed like to the best of its ability. It's almost I don't think it'd be a better movie if they had uh, more money in a way. No, yeah, I mean, in, in what, and it also has that um, kind of meta aspect to the story in that the film is about a uh, woman who's heavily pregnant um, embarking on this wild project, and that is also sort of what Alice Lowe did in yeah. making this film while heavily pregnant. You know, like, filmmaking is a very draining and all-consuming process, 
and she isn't just doing one part of it but she also wrote you know directed and starred in it so it's i feel like at least knowing that background to it i was quite aware watching it yeah it's like this must have been a tiring like well, thing you know I, it's one of those movies where like sort of unique conditions of the shooting of it just adds something to it it's like she was really pregnant and like i don't know it's i'm trying to think of movies compared to like victoria or boyhood or whatever it's like just a unique filming condition just adds a yeah yeah thing to it which like if it was just an actress in a fat suit it wouldn't yeah no definitely well do you think that there's um this might like just sound lame but there's an aspect to it where she's sort of reacting against the uh like everyone wants to make sure that like pregnant women are like sitting down and drinking herbal tea and like don't move too quickly you know Exactly, and, like have to be like pampered and taken great care of, and she's like, "Fuck you! I've made like a serial killer movie." Now, if I see a uh, pregnant woman sitting down, I'm like, "Why the fuck are you making a movie? <laughs> get up, get up, you lazy, knocked up <laughs> woman, <laughs> and be like, on, go make a film, go make a film, like Alice Lowe, my hero." Yeah. Well, if if there's ever a woman who wants to sit down in the chair, I'm like, "Sure, you can sit down, but there better be a film coming out of this. <laughs> you better be on your way to make art." God's sake. God's sake. So the big takeaway from this movie is that pregnant women are quite lazy. Puff man is slow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm I <laughs> that was the message of the film, wasn't it? I want to hear from this kid in ten years' time. It's like as soon as that child's old enough to watch this movie. I feel like that'd be the most awesome thing. When they're ten. Well, he won't be old enough when he's ten. When he's but it's, it's maybe he'll be old enough. It's a daughter. Oh, it's a daughter, right. Yeah. But uh yeah, I just think it would there'd be something awesome about like if I found out that my mum had made this like serial killer <laughs> film while heavily pregnant with me, it'd just be amazing. Yeah, it would be awesome. It's kind of a cool gift for that child when they yeah. turn sixteen or something. I hope she makes another film about like, you know, a serial killer with a one year old and that's her so thing. On, it's so just the so whole chart like chartering her entire um like maternal experience. Yeah, like seven up, but instead of filming kids a series growing... of serial killer films. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like the Halloween series or something, but... Yeah. Yeah, with that more personal aspect. And then her daughter will take over the franchise at one point and be the lead. Can't wait. My favourite film stars Bridget Bardo. She's the queen, but she wants to be in radio. So she starts a podcast with her friends. And the terrorists try to stop her, but she beats them in the end. Award season continues to motor on. And the BAFTAs is coming up this Sunday. The British contribution to the glitz and the glamour where all of these massive A-listers have to come and pretend like they give a shit about it. Um, Stephen Fry is presenting his 8 millionth BAFTA ceremony. Yeah. Um, he National treasure. He's fossilizing and turning gold and becoming a giant BAFTA statue himself. Um, we're going to be watching it. And no. today we've mooted the idea, today as of recording, we're mooting the idea of doing a kind of Facebook Live broadcast. So... Yeah. Um, Make sure that if you're watching the BAFTAs, you check out, go on the Film Chat Facebook page, and we're going to be broadcasting it live. You can send us your emojis, send us your comments. Um, it'll be, yeah. I mean, it's and, sick. you know, we don't even care if no one listens or watches because we just don't care because we just don't care about it. We just don't care. We just don't care. But it still would be nice if you did. Please, please. So, like, it won't be tragic if no one does. That would be fine because be we fine. just don't care about it. Yeah, we don't care. But, but still would be nice. Yeah, nice. So much that. So, um, Stephen Fry, a man whose uh, general like reputation and uh, you know sense of national treasuriness has become increasingly tarnished. I think he's yeah. like a kind of guy who won't leave the party. You know, after his jokes have long since stopped being funny, and it's like, go home, Stephen. 
um that's a bit of a cruel thing to say but <laughs> that's, that's broadly speaking the man suffers that. from manic depression but okay you said that <laughs> well he's just like i you know i feel like uh, the number of people who find him great and irritating has vastly increased over the last five to ten years it's true that'll be my that'll be my i think um, that's fair inclination and his kind of bafta act has become rather old we've complained about it before our complaints are not yet old though they are still fresh and danny and i have been coming up with some alternative you know possibilities that he could use for his act absolutely because his writing is not always the sharpest not as sharp as it would be if we were writing his speech not at all so we wanted to suggest a few lovey style you know options for him to use when he's like using wordplay absolutely like the classic example of him introducing Helena Bottom Carter and saying some people say the world is going to hell in a handcart I say it's going to hell in a Bottom Carter brilliant Cue, like hours ow of... I just got slid yeah. open by that razor sharp wit exactly and yeah my blood is just spilling out so inspired by that gem Danny and I have uh, come up with our own with yep. our own options uh, Danny, do you want to do you want to do you want to start us off? Sure. They say you shouldn't say boo to a goose, but I think it's time we say hello to a gosling. <laughs> I've got a horrible feeling like that that we've used that one before. <laughs> I think we said boo to goose, but it's time to rustle a crow, <laughs> which is much better. Oh man, that's good as well. No, it's good. You're using it for a new purpose. Yeah, well, I, I he's pretty lazy thing. with his writing, so I figured I'd be lazy with my piss-taking of his you're right, writing. It's a, yeah, you're right. It's, it's, a, meta. it's a meta purpose. I see Meryl Streep is here tonight. Uh, Meryl, I heard uh, that Sadiq Khan went to see Florence Foster Jenkins and it moved him to tears, although he may have been feeling vulnerable, as I understand he had a touch of the flu at the time. This is my Stephen Fry impression. Yes. <laughs> Just got to deal with it. Well, I've always said that no one can make an ill mayor weep like Mayor Rill Streep. Yours <laughs> <laughs> oh, are so much better than mine. <laughs> I was having a drink the other night, and the barkeeper offered me a glass of fortified wine. But I'm not a port man myself, <laughs> unlike our next host. It's Natalie Portman. I see we've got Damien Chazelle here this evening. Damien Chazelle? Um, Chaz and Dave... Or Dave and Chaz, as I call them, once sang about being a snooker loopy. Well, I'm pos- probably loopy myself about La La Land, directed by Damien Chazelle. <laughs> so, uh, functional humor, functional gags. I, I was with my friend Lee at a Renaissance fair recently. <laughs> And while there, I saw some young actors playing squires. And I pointed this out to my friend Lee. And I said, hey, Lee, squires. <laughs> it's Haley Squires. Star of I, Daniel Blake. For many years, my favorite film was an existentialist comedy about a man who lived by himself and was obsessed by his own stools. But this year, I finally saw a film even better than Lonely Turd Man. <laughs> Tony Erdman! <laughs> you did it. There we go. <laughs> Just a few possible lines for him to choose from. So join us on Sunday, listeners, um, for our Facebook Live. Uh, you know, quality. That would be the sort of quality bants you can expect. 
Absolutely. Um, from us as we watch the BAFTAs. And then the following week, when we will be reviewing what, Danny? What's coming out? Do we have any idea? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. We don't know, but there will be films out. We will have seen... Maybe Moonlight? Moonlight. Yeah, we both see Moonlight, so we'll be definitely reviewing that. Maybe some other quality um, film. Uh, so... Until then. Until then. Goodbye. Bye. Well, uh, the, the interesting thing is that we, we get the critics who have their, their personal opinions, and the thing about personal opinions is that they always come from a place. And there's a preconceived idea which you have to get past the critic before you start writing your, your article or your review, and, and that affects everything. What is going to really matter, I believe, is what the audience says, because they're the ones who are buying tickets, they're the ones who want to see more of this kind of story or not, and so it's, it's the audience's voice is loudest, and after this weekend, the audience will at least partly have spoken. Okay. I agree. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.